Hockey Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is Alex, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, James. (sighs) You're supposed to say hello. Hello. (laughs) We are also joined by our good friend and normal guest, Ryan Williams. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. I I would be a little more uh, laid back and exasperated, but I I just started. I just cracked open a monster. I know it's late, so I'm, I'm, I'm wired. There may be some hey. bad mouthing here. I apologize ahead of time. Hey, that's good. That's Fully good. We'll keep it balanced. Day. We'll keep it balanced. <laughs> yeah. So the Saints traveled to Goodison Park. You'd barely know it um, because there were no fans involved. Traveled to Goodison Park and tied one all, which, by the way, special shout out to Scouse Blue on our Discord channel. He called the right score, but he also had other details, very important details that were correct. He called, and I quote, very poor 1-1. And he also mentions the fact that Danny Ings would score for the Saints. So shout out to you. Now, gentlemen, like I said, we tied 1-1. It definitely wasn't a very exciting match. So give me your instant match match reaction real quick. Ryan, how about you go first? Uh, I Honestly, you know, I tend to get into the tactics a little bit and kind of try and figure out what the heck we're trying to do. And I couldn't figure it out. Uh, it was pretty frustrating. I know every, everyone knows it's a midfield issue. And I, I've even been a little critical of people saying, just stop complaining, man. We, we have what we have right now. Our two, our three defensive mids that we went into the season having, none of them are there. And Delph wasn't even technically bought as a defensive mid if you listen to Marco Silva. So I couldn't help but focus on them. It was a 4-4-2, but it felt like we were kind of pressing, but not really pressing. And, and I have to admit, if you're going to deploy, Gomsch and Davies in midfield, which I strongly disagree with in any circumstance, having them press higher would be fine, but they didn't really press high and the team wasn't doing that and you didn't have Holgate back there. That's good in space and they just left the middle opening and I, I'm not surprised at all that it was 1-0 when it was, um, but over time, Carlo made some adjustments. It's just tough to watch a, us you know, go into more, not in a bunker, but play a little more defensive like that when normally we'd be used to having better personnel, but give credit to Ralph and Southampton. They're, they're pretty organized and they had a lot of energy. We looked tired, um, but probably deserved draw, I guess. Thankfully for Dean and Richie, that what a goal that was. Um, but I'm, you know, it just wasn't real exciting or thrilling. Don't you think? I mean, it just, I, there, there wasn't too many moments where I got off my seat and was excited. It's just kind of inevitable sometimes when your midfield's that bad. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, you say it was, you know, a fair 1-1. I'd say maybe a bit lucky on our part to be 1-1. Maybe I mean, bit. we could have been down 3-0 within the first yeah. 25 minutes. I thought Southampton had a very organized and well-orchestrated press that really caused us a lot of problems early on in the match. They looked like they were ready to rock and roll from the get-go. We looked the complete opposite, like we had just rolled out of bed onto the pitch. And... Very frustrating, as you said, Ryan. The midfield continues to be the issue. No one's surprised by that. I was surprised. You know, you could argue this was maybe Andre Gomez's worst match in a blue shirt. I thought he was horrendous. Looked slow, looked tired. And again, I'm willing to take it all with a grain of salt because he, of course, is coming back from a horrific injury. And I'm willing to take the entire team performances with a grain of salt in the sense that A, the rest of the season doesn't particularly matter, and B, 
the games are being played in a completely unfamiliar circumstance with no fans and after a three-month hiatus. But that said, I think the most enthusiastic or passionate I got during the match was just during horrible series of refereeing decisions that went on throughout the course of the 90 minutes. Right. I mean, uh, it was definitely an awful match. Agree with all of both of your points. And I think the most alarming thing to for me, like starting right off the bat, was simply the fact that any time they were on the up and up and driving into the box, it just felt like they could score at any moment. And that started very early. And right when I know as an Evertonian, right when the match starts and, and, and a couple chances occur pretty quickly, one after the other, that we're in for a long ride. And then Lee Mason was absolutely awful. He was super inconsistent the entire match. And I think... Really, the biggest, the first big issue was the penalty that he called for Southampton because James Ward-Prowse is already falling over in the box uh, towards throwing himself towards Andre Gomez, who just stops and stands there as he sees that he's coming towards him, and they call a penalty. And and I'm just sitting here wondering, how how can that be a penalty if he's already falling before Gomez even gets over there, and and the foul is supposedly called on Gomez. Is it wasn't a penalty. It was an absurd call. I, the thing is, I don't think Lee Mason is this crook. And some of the, some of the refs, sometimes you're just thinking, wow, this is really... Um, and granted, it was one-sided today, but he's just bad. I mean, I don't know what other way to say it. He was like this, and I, I know we had him for at least one more match, I thought, this year. But when I've watched other matches, he just misses calls all the time. I mean, there was a couple flops today that he called fouls against us where no one got touched in dangerous areas, too. Where Charleston gets chopped down the whole entire time, and we're going to get to that in a second. It was wrong, man. And what's even more comical is how often, so we can relate to this a little bit as, as Americans, that occasionally the instant replay, the NFL would come out, for example, it uses instant replay and say we got it wrong. It, it only happens maybe a couple times a year. Um, how is it that they've had how many this year where they've actually fight? They refused to do it initially at the beginning of the season. They've come out and said that the other one, the man you match was wrong apparently today. H- how does that happen? I mean, it's dumb enough that you don't have the pitch side monitor. So you have now two elements of subjective interpretation of the rules, which is completely missing the whole freaking point. It's supposed to be an assistant system. You know what I mean? It's not an additional referee. I I don't understand that. That is crazy. No one else in the world does it that way. So how does that person not see it? I I don't know. I mean, it's, there's no way that's a penalty. I I mean, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, Gomes was maybe a little clumsy, but he was three feet in front of the ball. So uh, this is not rugby where you ruck over the ball to retain it here. It's absurd. It it makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) Terrible call. And, and, but it was par for the course for him today. He was off. Completely agree. It was just shambolic at times. Unbelievable. I mean, in the first 10 minutes, he was calling a lot of really chippy, I guess, probably unnecessary fouls that were preventing anyone or the game itself from getting into any sort of cohesive rhythm. And despite all that, Southampton were still still firmly on the front foot. And then, you know, we didn't really threaten all that much. But then all of a sudden, Anthony Gordon has a breakaway and he's in on goal and he gets essentially bodied and I don't know if you guys agree with this to me I think he goes down maybe a little bit easily no the the defender's not playing the ball but I think maybe he he's he's obviously looking for the call there um don't know if that's necessarily a penalty in that specific situation 
but it was overall, it was, kind of same, it was kind of the same thing as as Dominic did, you know, right? Um, exactly. The other day, it was very. It kind of leaned in to initiate the contact, but was that different than what Ward Prowse did, in a way? Right. It would have been a. It would have been. A, it would have been a soft call. That's for sure. But the main thing I was annoyed with, simply also probably because we were behind at that point, or I don't know that we were. Yeah. I think we were. We were just yeah. then behind, and. Yep. You know that my whole my my whole issue is the fact that I'm looking at the penalty that they were awarded, which was way softer and w way more on the other end of the spectrum in terms of just uh, how close of a gray area is there to the rule. And then you look at Gordon's and you're like, that's that's way more of a gray area. Like you can actually somewhat maybe a little bit debate this one, but the other one was not even close, and we really needed that. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately the the Ward Press penalty doesn't really matter, right? Because he he. It puts so much power on it. He sends it like out of Goodison off the crossbar, which was pretty impressive in itself. So we were, you know, fortunate in that sense. And then later on in the match, there's the Richarlison breakaway where to me, that's a clean tackle straight up. I don't know if you guys take issue with that call, but it seemed like he got most of the ball. Richarlison was, was, I mean, it's a foul, but it's definitely not a red card as it was, as was rightly uh, on review by VAR. Well, the only thing I will say about that is that it's hard. I have to watch it a couple more times again because when I saw it, I was like, man, did he go through the body to make the tackle? But again, if you have a clear run on goal and you're fouled and it's a direct kick anyway, um, if you're going forward towards the goal and it denies a clear goal scoring opportunity, it's a red by definition. Now, in the box, it's different. In the box, if you're trying to play, go for the ball, it's not that double jeopardy rule. That's the rule they changed outside the box, though. It's it's technically a red. But what I what I was very confused about is fine. Say he got the ball or I, I don't know what you say, really. He either fouled him or he didn't. But what I cannot understand is so you go. Why did they go to VAR to determine if it was a red card? Correct. So think about how funny that is. So so what did VAR come back? They said it's not a red. So ex riddle me this. So we said it's a foul. Clearly, he has a direct shot towards goal. But it's not a red that 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 makes no logical sense. It's a foul or it's not. And it's a red if it's a foul. That's what I cannot figure out. Now, now the VAR can't decide if it's a yellow. You know what I mean? They can't come back and say, right. oh, it's a yellow. They also can't tell you it's not a foul. So in my opinion, what he must have said was, well, it's not a foul to begin with. Thus, we can't say it's a red. <laughs> but you gave yeah. him the foul. I mean, it, You're it, right. it doesn't right. make any sense to me. So I, I don't understand how VAR. How, why did Mason give a yellow? That's what I cannot figure out. If it's a foul, it's a red. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Although, let me tell you another thing. The center back should have already had a yellow. Because if you recall, when, when Richarlison got ticked and went and kicked out and got his yellow earlier in the match, Dominic Calvert-Lewin got a yellow, apparently, for getting in the face of Bendarek, you know, the center back, for Southampton because he was trying to draw another yellow from Richarlison and get him off his game. So I don't understand how Dom gets a yellow there and the other guy does it. It's that's ridiculous to me. And how Ward Prowse didn't get a card either for Correct. the hatchet job crap that yeah. he was doing. That was unbelievable. That guy, let me tell you what, that guy's wonderful on set pieces. And thankfully he was not today because he really right. is good on them. Um, but I don't ever remember him being such a hatchet guy. I don't know if just because, Boyberg was out. He felt like he needed to kick some people, but and I know he's not a good defensive player and he's not good in open play anyway, but I mean, what the heck was that? That, that really irritated me because had he already had the yellow, does he even attempt to bring Richie down there? And it could be, you know, it could be a goal. I'm not saying we deserved it though. I, I think that's probably what you think about on the back end. You think, well, did we deserve it? But I mean, how many, so seriously, you guys are watching that. Alex James, how many times did you see a foul 
and think, wow, we got a break there. I mean, I felt like every single foul decision, and they had more possession, so I, so I expect maybe a few more fouls on our end if we're being aggressive. I think by the end of the game, we were so exhausted. You know, we weren't even challenging for fouls. But um, how many times did you look at that and say, wow, geez, that really could have gone their way? I mean, none. None. Right. Zero. Milch. Not. I, I, I don't get it. I feel like every single foul went their way. Maybe it was my imagination. Maybe I'm biased. Could be subconscious bias. I don't know. But I, I, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. I, I thought it was a very poorly, poorly officiated match, but certainly not in our favor either. No, it was most definitely... I mean, Lee Mason is notorious. All the referees in the Premier League are notorious for being terrible. Lee Mason up amongst the upper echelon of the terribleness that is the Premier League Referees Association. But I think what encapsulates it perfectly is is Luca Dean's yellow in the waning minutes of the match when the so audio has been released and is just unbelievable. We won't say what he said live on the podcast, but he essentially says, F off, F off, F off. You're useless. You're effing useless. <laughs> Perfectly sums up how every accent. Evertonian was feeling in that moment. Right, with the French accent. Oh, beauty. Beauty. That is oh. that is one of the cool things. That is probably the only cool thing about no fans in the stadiums currently is that sometimes we get these nice clips, these nice clips of uh, players going off on each other and or the referee. It is unique. Yeah, you don't see that. I mean, I'm kind of used to that if you're watching like youth soccer and stuff like at some of my scouting yeah. gigs. It's kind of funny. You hear hear a little bit of it. But yeah, that was that was pretty classic. I mean, and again, another one of those plays where he's like, how how could are you saying the ball was out? And then I got uh, just unbelievable. Yeah. Lee Mason did not have a stellar job, but I can't ever remember watching a match with him and said, boy, Lee did a great job today. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I can't recall watching a match. and I'm like, wow, the referee. I mean, sometimes you're like, well, they didn't completely suck today i feel but like i'm never like good one well, the other day yeah good one the other day i actually made comment on it and i can't remember which one it was was it i don't know i have to go back and look but that must um, mean he's not a regular yeah <laughs> the good ones <laughs> are regulars <laughs> <laughs> oh, suspension impending <laughs> but let's talk let's talk the actual match and enough about lee mason as much as i'd love to go on further diatribes about him um let's talk about the formation we saw anthony gordon return to the side we saw Tom Davies and Andre Gomez in the midfield. We saw Yuri Mina replace the injured Mason Holgate. Alex, what were your thoughts on the first half as it unfolded with those lineup changes? Well, I mean, I like the lineup changes. Mina was the no-brainer. Um, I thought Gordon was was a bright spot during the, the first half specifically. You could tell that he was trying to play direct. Um, it was nice to see that he was our designated or he was taking a lot of the free kicks specifically in the first half. I noticed that very early on, maybe in like the first or second minute. Uh, but pretty much, like I said, I mean, it starts off very quickly and Southampton look like in possession. They can score every chance they create. They scored that one offside goal very quickly, but it was a pretty well worked goal. And we just kind of looked flat footed like we didn't know what to do if the ball was above our heads. Um and then we move on, and, and Gomez is already moving like a like an oil tanker or something. And so <laughs> he gets a knock of some sort, or he's limping. And so Sigurdsson comes on towards the end of the first half for him. And to be honest, I mean, honestly, every time Sigurdsson's come off the bench, I think, uh, since Project Restart, um, specifically the instances in which he comes off the bench, I feel like he does help a decent amount um, for us in terms of just recycling possession, um, very simply put. Uh, and then we move into halftime and we get this formation change and Iwobi, I think that's the second time in a row Iwobi was was axed at halftime. 
both hamstrings, both times. <laughs> I, I know I saw someone else post that today. I, I don't know for sure if that's the case, but um, he definitely wasn't moving real well at the right. end of that first half. Um, I mean, it, you know, he wasn't really getting the ball up the field anyway. Uh, I, I, I don't really know what to say tactically about that. But, yeah, that's that's not good. I, 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 I didn't like that he started the match, honestly. I thought that was maybe – again, I'm not a doctor. What the heck do I know? But just had I just kind of had a bad feeling about it. I'm kind of like, eh. You know, the guy was pulled at halftime for a hamstring issue. He's had recurring injuries all year. I don't know. That's, that's just kind of the way I felt. But maybe Sidibe wasn't wasn't fully fit because he looked gassed at the end of the game, too. But anyway, continue, Alex. Sorry. Just right. And and actually, just one real quick stat because I was rolling over into like the halftime and the formation change. But I wanted to mention this real quick. WF analyst on on Twitter, he shared some pictures at halftime. And one of the uh, one of the graphs showed Tom Davies only attempted 10 passes as our central midfielder in the first half. He got five of them successful. Two of them were facing forward. He had two forward passes in 45 minutes plus stoppage time. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I think part of that was my kind of the point I made before about the tactics where I couldn't figure out if Gomes and Davies were pressing high or not. I mean, the people that always lead your team in forward passes are, are the center backs, typically, because they're in the back, so there's no other place for them to pass. Uh, Tom is normally a pretty progressive passer. He normally does go forward a lot. So to me, that spoke a little bit to the fact that he was playing too high on the goal, on the goal. The, the one time today where I'm watching the match and, you know, you're just kind of shaking your head because, you know, the midfield's not there. What the heck was that? You had Gomes, who already probably was too far over. And that's fine. Like, if you're going to come that far out of the center... Okay, you know, but you should have an internal mechanism that says to you, oh, geez, I'm not compact. I'm too expansive here. Like foul someone. I mean, Andre fouls more than almost anyone in the league. If there was ever a moment to foul and stop the play, that was it. And then, but even worse, no, even better. It was, I don't know how to compare it. It was like Tweedledee and Tweedledum and someone following someone like aimlessly or uh... where did we go, George Dog or something. I don't know what the heck it was. And then you see... Tom Davies come flying over from his right center mid defensive mid position to somehow challenge the ball on the left sideline. What in God's green earth was that? So shockingly enough, they passed the ball directly to the middle, had all day time and space in there. I mean, Mina, who, you know, these guys are in front of had to be looking up saying like, what in the heck is going on? And sure enough, they scored. I, I don't, there is no tactic on the earth that could possibly be designed ever even like the Red Bull teams, to throw the right defensive mid all the way out to the left sidelines to cover for the left defense mid while there's a left regular mid there 40 yards from where he should be. I, I don't get it. There, There is something mentally wrong. Tom Davies has some really positive attributes, but no one on the earth should be doing that. But that whole out of position thing, giving them the middle, you know, the golden square, whatever Pep wants to call it, the most dangerous area in the pitch repeatedly the other team, happened the whole time. So getting back to the initial point where Sigerson looks good coming off the bench, does he really look good coming off the bench? Or is he replacing performances that are absolutely atrocious and he looks amazing by default? I don't know the difference, but I swear to God, you cannot play Davies and Gomes in any tactic anymore in those two center mid positions ever again, ever. I mean, the, me. the bar for our central midfield is the floor. Like, yes, it's that bad. It's like if you're not completely incompetent, then you're going to look good in comparison to what we had. And I do yeah. want to just quickly like touch on the br one bright spot of maybe the entire match, which was 
the brilliant ball from Luca Dean over the top to Richarlison. Oh my I goodness. mean, pinpoint. Beautiful. One touch from Richarlison. One shot. Back of the net. Completely undeserved at that point. Out of really nothing whatsoever, but a brilliant bit of individual play from our probably two best players this entire season. I mean, he was a bright spot, right? I mean, we, we talk about kind of some of the bright spots. Um, it's funny, that channel was open, too. You know what I mean? You could see that if we ever broke the press. Oh, that's enough. I could talk all day about our attempts to break the press and what our central midfielders were doing. I, I do not get it. It was so obvious that Southampton was squeezing their forwards to prevent that direct, straightforward pass to the defensive mid. Wow, shocking. What a complicated tactic. And our defensive mids can't go out wide and form 2v1s with our fullbacks? What on earth are we doing? But anyway, without, I could, oh, so frustrating. But, um, yeah, Dean was good though. Uh, he still, he, he does things really well. Like he is good in the air. I don't think people realize he faces something like, like four aerials per 90. Like that's a lot for a guy who's not really thought of as this super hulking left back. He's probably a little taller than we realize, probably like 5'9, five, 5'10. Five, he, he's good. And I mean, he, we tacked obviously a lot up the left and part of that, Anthony Gordon was doing a good job too, but man, look at Dean. Imagine if we had a right back that could do some of that stuff. Cause Seamus really, I don't know what was going on over there. Maybe it was a Wobi who wasn't doing well either, but you know what I mean? I mean, it all went down the left. So you got to give credit to Luca. He, he, he did a good job today. His crosses were pretty bad last week. Um, but today, I mean, he was one of the few guys that were willing to take people on the dribble. He was aggressive front forward. Part of that's a combination or function of Gordon. But man, I'll tell you what, Gordon really, and maybe it's just he has legs and some of the other guys don't, but I mean, he was the danger guy today. And it's a shame we couldn't get the ball down the right more to take advantage of him cutting in the middle. So we had numbers, but that's what happens when you can't freaking possess the ball uh, and have two center mids that want to run around like chickens with their heads cut off. Yeah, I mean, Gordon looks quicker than I think I expected him to be, to be quite honest. Like now that we're seeing him get solid chunks of minutes in on the pitch. His uh, first step, but I will oh, first step is just yeah, right. Ball, right? I mean, yeah, he's pretty quick. He's pretty quick. And you know what, though? I, I honestly he's exciting to watch because he's been so direct. He doesn't yeah. have that like loss of confidence that a lot of these players have seemed to just go th go through over the last year, two years, whatever it may be. And so he's playing very direct. Um, he's looking to link up with teammates, but I legitimately think one of the big reasons why Anthony Gordon is performing to, to the level that he is currently, I think a big part of that is because of how good Lucas Dean has been right behind him. Agreed. And I say that because defensively, he's been extremely solid since, since project restart started. Um, I thought last week specifically, he was pretty good, um, defensively and, Furthermore, if you watch, if you just kind of zoom out for a second and stop following the balls like you're watching the match, you'll see right as the ball is coming back and Anthony Gordon sees that Lucas Dean has possession, he just starts booking it. He just starts booking it and he'll peek over his shoulder a little bit to see like where's the ball dropping, when's it coming, which shoulder it's coming over, right? And I remember watching a couple matches ago when, when Bernard got subbed in for Gordon and you saw like a couple of minutes after they were kind of arguing they couldn't get, Bernard and Lucas Dean couldn't get you know, couldn't got, get involved together, essentially. And just, there was no interplay. And Lucas Dean was yelling at me. He said, Bernard, just go. He just pointed, yeah. run. Yep. When I get the ball, just run. Gordon already Debris. understands that. And, and, and yeah. Lucas Dean always does a really good job of getting the ball down the line consistently. Honestly, I think we take that for granted as well. I, I had a little bit of a rant there, but I, this, this kind of dawned on me. I feel, I feel pretty uh, passionate about it, fellas. 
No, breaking down teams is hard sometimes. You know, you have to have good anticipation. You got to play the ball in the space. You got to move it fast. Those two are the only ones that were moving it fast. But you're right, Alex. I mean, part of it is having confidence in the guy behind you that you don't always have to cover for them. That's not happening on the other side, or at least didn't happen today on the other side. Um, and you unfortunately saw some of the weaknesses of, you know, Seamus was fine defensively, but he wasn't winning stuff clean. You know what I mean? And it just makes you, you know, you start going through the whole squad like, God, where can we get a little better? You know, and, 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 you know, where just dawns on you typically. Yeah. Well, it, but you know what I mean? It's kind of the end of year kind of dawns yeah. on you in certain areas that you're like, you know, I've been watching this all year and, you know, maybe this guy just doesn't, isn't good enough in this way. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. In the same way as it's like when the ball goes up top to, to Dom, he's, it's not that he's winning any fewer balls, but there's no one up there to win the second ball. Um, and that's, that's, yeah really frustrating but i will say i think another bright spot is is richie i mean he brought down that pass from luke and buried the shot but i think you also saw he was really the only guy up top that was really running into space and look if they're going to press up that high you've got to play it into space either along the sidelines or or somewhere and he was sitting in that channel by the way between the center back and the and the left back the whole game in fact gordon the saddest part is as well as gordon did there were a couple times in the final third where he didn't he didn't quite didn't quite put the dagger in him. You know what I mean? And and that'll come with time because the goal is the first part is creating those opportunities. He missed Richie with one. He just overbaked it, man. Oh God. He steps in on the 18. It's a goal. And he missed Dean at one point. Yeah. I just, it was probably pretty good anticipation by the defender, but, but that's it. You know, I, I'd rather have someone at least taking the initiative on the front foot supported though, Alex, you're right by, by left back and the other players, but taking the initiative and putting the front foot forward, uh, God, we, we need that on both sides, though. We really do. And the decision-making is there for him. It's just maybe some of the execution stuff, like his his yeah. ability to, you know, be spontaneous with the ball and, and actually have the confidence to take players on is something we're just missing in the rest of the side. I mean, there's the – you mentioned Calvert-Lewin, like, not his – hasn't had the best outings the last couple times. There was the one – he was trying to just take the ball out of the air on, like, the full volley, and it hits, like, his knee. And it's like that that's like not really a goal that's in his repertoire probably needs to like get back to basics a little bit. But let's uh, let's pivot a little bit to the second half, because there were some interesting tactical changes that Carlo made at halftime. Obviously, he yanks a Wobi, brings on Jabril Sidibe, and we switch formations to basically a, a three, five, two with Seamus playing the third right back position. And I thought that it actually gave us a decent amount of control for the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half where we were actually able to get the ball wide and sort of circumvent the Southampton press as a little. I mean, I think they they took the press back a little bit as they started to tire, but we found a little bit more success with at least controlling possession a little bit better and, you know, maybe not creating all the best chances, but it felt a lot more comfortable like we weren't constantly on the verge of getting scored on. Yeah, we couldn't win it back necessarily, but at least the shape was there. We we forced them wide too. They they couldn't suddenly pick us off that easily down the middle. But man, you saw the last 10 minutes, so you could tell we just must have been gassed because how often did they operate on the left side um, and just started firing crosses in? And, you know, you were hoping that Seamus or Sidibe would close down. You know, I, I guess I don't know if it was Bertrand who was firing all the crosses over from over there, but um, that was, but at least it wasn't the shape. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's kind of your point and you're right. It, it was definitely an improvement. Um yeah, I think that's who it was. But, you know, still, yeah, it was Bertrand had eight crosses, you know, they're just firing yeah. it in. So that's a better result than having them carve up the middle, I suppose. But 
boy, it would have been nice to have some <laughs> some legs in the middle to pick off a couple of those passes and then start the counter again. Because you notice there were a couple 50-50 balls where when Moise came in, almost got to it and took off. Like it was really, really close. And you know when he yeah. got behind the center backs, he's gone. Um Man, I really wanted that so badly for him. I mean, Southampton, to their credit, I'll, I'll give them credit for having the guts to push forward and go for the win when they do. Um, that can bite you in the tail, but we just didn't, I guess we didn't have the legs or really the quality. I mean, some of the first touches and like talking about performances when Bernard came in. My God. Oh my God. Uh, you know, That's where I mean, possession we went to die. Oh, it did, didn't it? I mean, and, and it's a lot of that first touch stuff, you know, like it would bounce out, second ball oh, would come in, we'd get to it first, and then the first touch went where? Right back to it. That was tough. But the moment that stands out to me is when he tries He tries to do like this. I don't know if he tried to go to Tom Davies in the middle or tried to put it through to Sidibe, but, but Tom dummies it, and oh. it ends up well short. And it was just a ridiculously ambitious pass for like that? the moment and did unnecessary. You, it just it just struck me as like a player who is knows he's playing really badly and is just desperately trying to make something happen and completely failing. He's fallen off like that. that he's been really bad since the break, like noticeably bad. He's normally at least his first touch is kind of tidy and he's got some tricks, but boy, disappointing. He's offered yeah, nothing. Absolutely nothing. You, know, you you would look you would look and you'd say, we've got Bernard coming in in the 60 odd minute. This is a cheat code. Like yeah, you legitimately yeah. would think. Like there are not many teams in the league that could have someone like Bernard come off the bench, like as good as Bernard when you when you know what he looks like on his day, right? But I think honestly, and and this is kind of out there, fellas, but like I think honestly, we have really missed Theo Walcott during Project Restart, and I know a <laughs> lot of people hate Theo Walcott, but I think you know we would have had some better matches if Theo was still in the squad and still fit because a, he would have been starting uh, most matches, I think, unless he put a foot wrong or a terrible, terrible foot wrong. Um, unfortunately though, we wouldn't have seen as much of Anthony Gordon, but I think I'm just getting tired of, of seeing the right side chopped and changed so much. And no matter who we put over there, they're not necessarily comfortable with it unless we, you know, throw Jibril yeah, Sidibe over there, which of course in that instance, you know, he shows and he makes great runs, but then there's no end product. I mean, we've got no depth. We, you know, center mid is obviously what people harp on, and we barely have bodies to put in there that are that are decent. But like, even in the positions where we have okay players, we have no backups, and so we're left with really tired, exhausted players. I think at this point, with the the, the matches coming as quickly as they have been, and it shows. Like in the second half of games, once we get past sixty minutes, it just becomes really apparent that we're not capable of putting really a ton of pressure or getting forward very quickly. And it, it just leads to some really tough, tough matches to watch. You know, Ethan, you know, Xander friend, friend of the show. Um, Indeed. He's been harping on uh, the dribbling and kind of people taking on players. And uh, you know, that it's very funny. I, I, I like Pep, Guardiola and the way he managed he's a little nuts but I like you know some of the things that he likes and looks for you know he always says he wants a guy that can dribble he said he feels like he can teach a lot of other things but that's the thing that really requires a lot and we, we just don't have it Bernard I thought might come on and you know he's a little sneaky at creating some space for himself but we just had no one to do it you know Wobie went off he actually will dribble by someone every now and then but you know he just doesn't seem right Keen was the only one 
and it, we just don't have it, you know, and, and Theo, he may not dribble by someone, but at least he'll run it and push it into space a little bit. So it's, it's lacking athleticism and it's also lacking that person to just kind of take people on. I think that's why Gordon and Dean stood out so much. They were willing to run at people, but we just, we just did not have that. It just shows to show you, if you pressure a team and they have no one that can kind of dribble by that one guy, it's like in any sport, you go by that one guy and you put him in your back, in your rear view. Now the numbers are yours. And right, exactly. When everyone, and, and sometimes it's not even to go by him. It's just to create that extra second of space. You can't play ball over the top, but we saw just none of that today. Um, other than some of the stuff we saw early. And normally that's a lot easier to bring someone quick off the bench, you know, to run at people. Everyone loves that player, right? Doesn't every team have that player? Well, who the heck do we have to do that? And part of that's lack of depth, part of that's lack of personnel, but. Yeah, it's frustrating, man. You know, you, you expect someone like Bernard to come out and provide some teeth when he comes off the bench. We just got none of it today. And it's such a shame that Moise Keane didn't get the ball. He actually looked decent on it today. Just how many touches he had? Not many. He had that one amazing dribble sequence where he beat three or four guys and then obviously got a little bit ambitious with it, trying to beat like the fifth yeah. and sixth guy simultaneously. But yeah, I mean, you can tell he's a player that really wants to show what he's all about. And he's been kind of denied that opportunity when he comes on with 25 minutes left in the game. You think, okay, this is a great chance for him to really make an impact. And we can barely get him any type of service. And it, he just kind of, you know, he he spends half his time chasing around Southampton center backs trying to pressure the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would be an interesting discussion to have whether or not you could start Dominic Calvert-Lewin up top with Moyes Keane to play off of him because he's got, you know, a good amount of pace on him as well and then push Richarlison back out wide. But then that begs the question, like, are are we really pushing our biggest goal threat further away from the goal? Obviously, yeah. I mean, he scores plenty. But that's still uh, like an actual conversation to be had, especially since Calvert-Lewin hasn't scored one since Project Restart either. And you saw him always struggle, like, struggle with that a little bit, kind of out of possession. You know, in the four four two, you saw him yeah. coming back, but like, God, you don't want to go too far back because like you said, if we do win the ball, where's the outlet? And he, you know, and he knows how dangerous he is in the open field. I mean, that would have been the outlet. So he kept coming back, but then nah, not all the way because he doesn't want to. I mean, I totally get it. But yeah, it was, the last 10 minutes, I think our legs were just done, but. It was still frustrating. All in all, I think a very frustrating day. It's been a frustrating couple matches between this match and the Spurs match. And then we look ahead to Wolves, and it's, you know, obviously Europa is now very much, I think, out of the question. Done and dusted. Come on yeah. now. And so, Come on. It's never over Ryan, until it's right. over. <laughs> Two episodes ago, I was on the choo-choo Europa train. I was all gung-ho. And then Literally. this team, like they have so many times before, they let me down. And there's really not a whole lot to play for. I mean, I think even coming into the the season resuming, a lot of fans were kind of grasping at straws, thinking that the squad that we had available after, you know, I think really when Gabaman was on the cusp of a return, we had that to look forward to, and that was snatched away from us so cruelly. I think that kind of puts everything in perspective of what it is to be, <laughs> what it is to be an Evertonian. No, 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 no. Look, you're missing. We have a secret weapon. You're not thinking about him. We do. Uh -oh. And it's not Omar Niasi. He's gone. I, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> and we can't register Yannick Velasi, even though he does run at people and can dribble. That's a joke. And he tweets. He tweets. He tweets yeah. about us. He says he like he, he's all very supportive on, on Twitter. He, he seems like who's, a lovely chip. Who's no. our secret weapon, Ryan? Enlighten me. Fabian Delph. He's coming. Oh, my he's God, back. Ryan. He's gonna, Glass no. cannon, am I right? You laugh, though. You laugh, in all honesty. If he was healthy... He goes right in the starting lineup in the middle. 
hundred percent. It's true. It's true. 100%. And, he, and he's a massive upgrade up there, which is terrifying to suggest, but it just goes to makes you kind of ask the question. I mean, it's obvious that Siggy deserves some credit, at least for being positionally aware. Uh, he had a couple actually very good plays that he blocked yeah. passing into that, into the danger areas, but you got to ask the question, is it time for either a personnel switch, like literally a Benny Beningame or Ooh. does Carlo, I mean, Carlo's shown some adaptability within the four, four, two, but, and I know he said he doesn't want to change systems, but I mean, I, I just don't know one more loss and it's done for sure. I, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that it's not highly unlikely right now either guys. I'm not stupid, but, but and as much <laughs> as I enjoy you making choo-choo noises, James, uh, I, I just, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he, he, he has to change something up maybe a little more drastically. Uh, the sad part is I actually really liked his setup. I felt like initially against Spurs, it was a little bit of a change. It just didn't, didn't work very well. And I, I don't know what, one of, a one of our beloved listeners out there wanted to kind of walk through Carlos tactics real quick, just in terms of what the options are. He did in Napoli stick with the four, four, two, a lot. He played some four, three, three, but again, a lot of this is due to the personnel, you know, Bayern, he try, he always tends to start with this four, four, two. He's, he's a Saatchi kind of initial disciple, um, but he's played a lot of different stuff. But if you read his bio, I mean, he, he really doesn't want to make major changes in the middle of the season. Now I've heard a lot, heard a lot of people say, well, then why is he doing a four, four, two? We were in a four, two, three, one before. Well, number one, we defended in a four, four, two. So I think that's something people forget. So that is at least familiar. And if I'm Carlo and I'm thinking, I don't even have a defensive mid, like literally my three guys are gone. I'm probably, if I'm going to choose, okay, how is my shape going to be? I'm going to probably pick the generally universal shape defensively that you're already in. Like that's a structure you shouldn't have to tinker with too much. Now, if you want to attack differently and make some changes, and again, I'm not Carlo Ancelotti. I'm just kind of talking out loud. I don't think it's insane what he's doing, but it's hard. I mean, at Bayern, he tried the same thing. Went, I think he started with a 4-3-3, believe it or not, but felt stuck to play a 4-2-3-1. Why? You had Muller kind of that has to play this free roaming position and, you know, he caters to it, to his personnel. And so the same thing at, you know, Real Madrid, he was 4-3-3. He didn't want to play that. He started out in the 4-4-2, and we all know he'd played the Christmas tree at Milan and, you know, started out, you know, 4-4-2 earlier in his career. He actually did play a fourth uh, 3-4-1-2 to bring Zidane into the fold before he was at Milan. But again, Real Madrid, he switched to a 4-3-3 because he wanted to have Cristiano Ronaldo up in that left roaming free position, and James kind of played on the right side, and it really worked. Um, even putting Di Maria is more like a left mid, but again, these are things that happened kind of later. You know what I mean? So I get it. I, I just, I don't think we're going to see that much alteration, um, until the season's over for better, for worse. But I, I, if Fabian Dell's not going to come back and be healthy, I mean, I, I have Bleak. to admit, I want to I see what Benny can do. I would put him next that, to I've seen it on Twitter. It's like, how bad is Benny Beningami training that he can't get into the central midfield right now? I mean, he hasn't he hasn't played competitive matches in so long. But I God, are we have got to be close to that point? Do we not? Are, are we just not? Say, you got to throw caution to the wind and say can't be much worse. Let's give him at least a substitute appearance and see what the kid can do because he has made senior appearances for us and looked all right in the past. I mean, it's been a long time, like you said, but you got to try something. There, this not- we can't keep doing this. I know. Davies and Gomez. It's not even throwing caution in the wind, in my opinion, though, in many ways, because all he has to do is stand there and be more effective. You know, today, oh, my God, the first half an hour was maddening. I mean, I, I could not believe 
how halfway those guys were. I mean, there was 30 yards between the back line in the central midfield at times. They were playing farther advanced than the wide players. So I, I just, I can't, even if Benny is a complete stiff, I do not see any conceivable way that he can't, he couldn't at least be better than those guys were today at a minimum. At a, maybe I'm wrong. Watch him be subbed in. He literally kicks it in our own net within five minutes, I guess. But uh, <laughs> no, secret weapon, Fabian Delph. I, I just know it. He's, he's about ready to come back. We're going to charge for Europe. The fans are going to be shouting his name. Love it. Forget all the social media stuff he did before. He's going to be anointed Evertonian. Great. Finish out his career. Okay. Your ability to be optimistic, despite all evidence to the contrary, Ryan, is very admirable. I just want to hear you choo-choo again. That's it. I admit it. That's, I would love to do the choo-choo again, but I think it's going to have to wait until like our preseason preview at this rate. Choo-choo went bye-bye, bro. Yeah, all right. She's right. gone. One last shout out, guys. Um, you know, Callum, our fine Irish brethren, uh, when I asked, hey, what do we want to talk about on the pod? Um, he he asked me uh to address something that's totally inappropriate, and I just want him to know that there's no way in heck I'm gonna discuss that on air. There you go. <laughs> so there. shout out to the Irish puppies. That's right. You know, you know what you asked. So. I saw Joe O'Reilly on the fan cam too. Great guy. Yeah. Oh, man, Looking sharp, good. Joe. Those guys are hysterical, man. Love them. But yeah, that was a tough one today. It was good. to, You know, those are the great moments to be part of a nice community like we have just to kind of wallow in it. But hey, look, man, I it, it, I mean, I, I do feel comfortable, though, that it, it's very obvious what our issues are. And I, I think brands even going into this year thought, you know, hey, I got some numbers in there now. I've got some quality. I know I really feel confident that JPG is a good player and will help. Um, I don't know if he's perfect for four four two, but he'd certainly be better and more disciplined than what we have now. But th- they know what the issues are here. It's just a matter if we have enough wiggle room under financial fair play to address the other issues. I-, I feel very confident that they knew probably even going into this year that we needed at least one more in central mid. And with him still being banged up, I, I can almost guarantee you it's going to be two. Again, we got to move people out, but um, it's, God, it's just tough to watch it, though. You know, even though, you know, and I'm optimistic it will change. Oh, God, it's tough to watch, guys. We're going to take a quick break, guys, but stay tuned. Afterwards, we'll be talking with Tony Sampson from the Chicago Toffees about the recent international fan survey run by the Everton Fans Forum. Going to be some good stuff, so listen up after the break. Welcome back, everybody. We are now joined by Chicago Toffee and Fans Forum liaison member, Tony Sampson. Tony, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on again. Let's uh, let's kick things off just really briefly. Give us your thoughts on the Southampton match today. Oh, well, I think uh, I think keeping it brief is probably the best thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you guys have been talking about it, but that was, you know, it's, it's just so disappointing, isn't it? It was so poor today. The same, it's the same issues, isn't it, that we've seen over successive managers um, in terms of where our problem areas are. And, you know, I think part of the issue as well is, you know, Carlo's come in and he's raised a bit of expectation, hasn't he? You know, he's turned the season round and we've seen a little bit of improvement after the restart. Um, but it, it just doesn't change the fundamentals, does it? You know, particularly in the field area. I mean, the lack of pace and creativity, leadership, you know, I'm sure you've, you've spoken about it at length on the, you know, on the segments already, but it's just, um, it's just a, like a recurring theme. It's like a recurring nightmare. Um, yeah. Nothing like a, so 
nothing like a draw in a derby to get the fans very optimistic about the team going forward, only to be I disappointed. Know. I know, exactly. Well, and that's the thing as well, as you know, Goodison, Goodison can be quite a difficult place, I'm sure. You know, we spoke to Gareth Farrelly not so long ago in the fans forum, and he was saying, you know, that, that you know, it can be quite intimidating playing in front of a Goodison crowd, you know, because, you know, we demand character and we demand, you know, a certain level of input. And he says, you know, if it isn't going well for you, you know, it, it can it can affect players, but there's no excuse on that moment, is there? Because we're not there. So, look, big job to do, isn't there? Um you know, I still think we've got the right man in place to to help us get there. But uh, you know, clearly we need to to move a few people on and and see if we can get you know the replacements in. But yeah, really, really totally agree. But let's talk about something a little lighter, less depressing, perhaps even God. encouraging. One could say. <laughs> so you, of course, being on the fans forum, working with the International Blues, conducted a survey, which we talked about on the show about a month ago. I would say. And just the other day, you've released the results from the survey. So take us through a high-level walkthrough of what were the the key findings from the survey results. Yeah, um, with pleasure. Um, so look, just to recap, this is the first time that the fans forums had international representation, as you know, you guys know both yes. yourself and and Joe O'Reilly. Um, so you know, we've 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 always believed that it's really important that if we're going to actually give sort of people a voice, then particularly overseas fans, we need to understand, you know, what matters most to them. So that's that's why we did it, just to get some input from them, not just on the issues, but also then how do they want to sort of stay connected and um, make sure that they, you know, they they continue to to stay involved, but also to sort of allow us to give some feedback to the club on on things that you know, they might want to enhance or improve on work they're already doing or feed in some new ideas. Um, so we went out for three weeks um, and we got responses from um, Evertonians in 27 separate countries, which I think is pretty impressive and talks to the fact that, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, whether it's, you know, Tampa, Toronto or Timbuktu, you know, there's an Evertonian somewhere. So I think that, that, that that's really good. Uh, nearly 500 Evertonians actually responded to the survey, uh, which again, I think gives us a, know a, a reasonable base to sort of you know get some insights in um I, I mean the big message that came through uh, apart from some of the issues that were raised was that you know it doesn't matter where where evertonians are you know they they feel it's really important to them that they've got to say uh, about their club so 90 percent of those that did respond told us that it was really important to them that you know they've got a voice so um you know i think that's that that's not a great surprise but again i think it just shows that uh, again doesn't matter where we are We've got we've got a strong belief and um, desire to to have a say in how our clubs run. Yeah, and I think I think that makes complete sense, and it and it speaks to you know what what your whole campaign push to be on the fans forum in the first place was all about, which was providing that voice. And now you're able to create a platform for the international fans to provide that voice. So with the results of the survey. What is the plan going forward? So have you presented the findings to the club already? Was there any kind of reception to that? What was that like? Um, and, and what are the next steps, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, maybe just before that, I mean, just to just to recap as well on some of the, the key themes that came through in the survey as well. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that we heard sort of loud and clear. So, you know, things like um, sort of the visibility of the club internationally, you know, and how... Uh, you know, there could be, you know, some enhancements and improvements there that, you know, particularly in the US actually, given, given all of this there that, you know, how can, how can the club really sort of drive that and get with some of the supporters clubs, 
to build that visibility. Um, linked to that was sort of some of the retail and merchandising opportunities. So, you know, given the low levels of visibility in some of the, you know, the stores, particularly in the US and also some of the, some of the issues related to shipping costs and exchange rates and that means for international fans and how that impacts their sort of, you know, their buying preferences and other things was, uh, you know, was, was raised with us, um, supporting the clubs, the supporters clubs themselves. You guys will know that there's a, a pretty impressive network of, supporters clubs right across the US but you know what they told us in the survey was that you know they're you know, they've they've been pleased with how the club's been engaging with them to support them sort of particularly over the last 12 months but they're looking for more in terms of resources and ideas and uh, tools that can help them sort of you know build out their own clubs help them run events help them you know sort of identify the Evertonians of the future and, and, and sort of you know build off from there um, connecting with the clubs to sort of you know really build that that sense of community with Evertonians was was another area that was was identified uh, and something that you know that, that Blues felt that they wanted to build on. I've I've been impressed actually. You know the different clubs across the US do sort of talk to each other and you know one of the things I've done is sort of get a little WhatsApp group as well since we've been going to sort of make sure that you know the clubs are sharing ideas and thoughts and and observations not just on the football but also on things. Uh, you know, off the pitch as well. So, you know, again, that was a, another area that 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 was 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 identified. Uh, and then there was some some other issues around sort of you know access to tickets. So, you know, you guys were over there, you know, earlier on this year, but you know, planning a trip to Goodison from afar is a big deal for people. Um, you know, so how can you know how can people get you know be sure that you know they're going to be able to secure match tickets and things like that, and make sure that you know when they do plan planned that their visits that you know the you know the club knows that they're they're coming and things like that so there was a range of issues that um that were flagged with us uh which we you know to your point we've now we sat down with the club we shared the top level findings with them um and then um they actually asked us for a for a follow-up meeting just to go through that in a little bit of detail which we did uh and then what we've we've also done is made a series of recommendations so ideas and areas where you know, we think that the club can maybe build on some of the plans that it's already got uh, and also to sort of help inform and inspire some of the plans that are developing for, for next season and beyond. So what we've uh, agreed with the clubs is that we'll sort of keep, you know, keep that under review, uh, keep meeting with them on a regular basis so that, you know, some of those, um, you know, some of those ideas can hopefully come to the fore. Yeah. How does that dialogue look, Tony? I mean, how has kind of the back and forth been with the club? So we have regular meetings, uh, Ryan, um, with with the club on a monthly basis. But um, you know, some of the the dialogue, particularly around the around the survey, happen you know happen separately to that. So you know, we met yeah. with um, the fan engagement. Uh, you know, yeah. took them through that, and you know, and I'll tell you, like, there's a constant sort of you know sort of to and fro with the club on these issues. You know, we don't wait for you know things to come up. You know, if we think that there's something that you know needs raising or you know has been raised with us then there's a there's an open channel there for us to be able to sort of take that and, and flag it with an engagement team which is really good there's a you know there's always a an open channel there which is i think perfect because you know in our role in the forum and um, to sort of try and act as that sort of go between i think that's um that's really important and they've you know they've been receptive to you know to the the, the feedback that we've you know that we've given um and you know i've looked you know it's fair to say that you know you know they've they've been working on some of these issues you know for you know for a short time now as well or for a while now so um you know we know that you know some of these issues aren't new to them but what we've also been able to do is to give them you know a little bit more insight and a few more ideas on how they can further develop yeah i think some of the high level findings are things that we've discussed 
Tony, we've discussed on the show, the engagement with the fan groups providing resources to help grow because we, like you said, we have this expansive network of fan groups that have almost sprung up relatively organically. And, you know, the support from the club will only then be able to help them further those efforts to grow the presence in the United States. And the ticket thing is huge because, you know, when Alex and I booked our trip, we, I think, secured tickets to the Manchester United match a few days before we flew over. And we didn't have Chelsea tickets when we were trying to go to the away match at the time when we flew over. So when we were there, it was kind of scrambling. I mean, we, we assumed given not to brag, you know, doing the podcast for as long as we had, we had a decent network that we would be able to, to get some. And we of course did, but it isn't easy. And it's especially coming from abroad where you're not able to, to pop down to the ticket office or you don't have family members or a bunch of friends that, that are fans and have season tickets, it can be pretty scary to think that you might book a trip and then not end up actually being able to attend the match. So I think it's a hugely important issue for the club to address. And I'm glad that that's being brought forth. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I think there's definitely an understanding from the club that, you know, that, that, that our experiences and our issues are being overseas are, you know, are sort of slightly unique. You know, they're very responsive to that. And as I said to you, you know, they've, they've listened to, to what we've had to say and, and hopefully as I say it will now sort of inspire some of the plans that um that they're developing. I mean I, I, you know I'd sort of be interested in your thoughts but you know one of my observations is is that you know it, it, it's pretty clear that the club is 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 definitely focused on an international expansion strategy. You know, we've seen a number of areas um you know through its affiliation process that it's been driving uh, particularly in the US. Um, you know I know it's got a uh, you know, a clear objective to make sure that there's a, you know, a, a, an officially affiliated sort of club in, fan club in, you know, in every state. There are actually many more. Uh, but, you know, it's been driving that and sort of supporting some of the clubs through there. You know, the, the extension of the Blue Family campaign that we've talked about before. You know, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the e-friendly that that uh, Richarlison did at the weekend yes. with, um, with Beckham's into Miami. But again, you know, so, uh, you know, what, what's, what's good to see is that, that you know, there are, Obviously, the international affiliate um, academy campaign is another example. You know, there's clear signs there that, that you know that the club is is moving forwards on its international plan. So, look, I think from from our perspective on the forum, what you know, what what we really want to see, you know, how can we embrace and involve uh, and engage the clubs in the network that exists here to support them? So, you know, seven, uh, I think over seventy odd percent of the the, the groups told us that you know they want to be involved in um you know in the advancement of of the club and and the work of the forum so you know that's that's quite that's quite quite a pow- powerful message um the the thing that summed it up to me was a quote that we got from 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 one of the people that responded which said you know they want to belong to Everton um and they want to be part of its growth internationally they don't just want to be you know an Evertonian that just watches a match in another country so you know again people 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 really want to, you know, want to get involved and, and hopefully we can play a role in helping them do that. Yeah, and y'all are doing a fantastic job. I mean, as I've said pretty passionately, I think one of the episodes previous, maybe a month or so um, ago, you know, Tony and and many others like him do this on their own time and and based on their own just desire to help build the club, kind of like what you just said, like the nice quote from someone that filled out a survey, you know, just another fan like wanting to be involved Um Really, at the end of the day, like that's pretty much all we are as well. And so I just, I think what I'm trying to say is, Tony, I, I think we all really appreciate like the work that you do on the fans forum and, and your just passion for the club and also passion for, for bringing the club to other people specifically in, in our country. So, 
Well, Tony, I think it's, it's worth noting too. How, how can other people then get involved? Because most people are, are aware of whoever their local kind of affiliate is, uh, group. You know, that's just kind of the nature, uh, <laughs> being an Everton fan. But for the other folks that might listen to the pod that, that don't have that, um, what are some things they can do to kind of get in tight with the network? Yeah. Yeah. So we reckon that there's about, from the research that we've done, we reckon that there's like, there's over a hundred supporters clubs, um, sort of across, across, across the globe, actually. So that, that, that sort of extends the US. Um, that have some form of online presence. So, you know, they've got a Twitter account or, you know, they've got a Facebook group or whatever. Uh, and then around about sort of 30, 35 of those are officially affiliated to the club. Um, I mean, I think the first thing is, even since we published the, the, the survey findings yesterday, Ryan, I had, you know, a load of emails from people that just saw the stuff that we put out on social media and the results that said, you know, like, and I had one, James, you like this, I had one from the main Evertonians. Yes. Uh, and others that just, that, that just said, you know, look, um, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not sort of officially involved, but, you know, we like sort of what's going on here. You know, how can you keep us involved in what's the best way to stay engaged? So the first thing I'd say is, you know, drop us a note at the fans forum. Um, um, in the US, sort of, I sort of cover North America and the rest of the world. So, you know, feel free to get hold of me uh, at any time. Also feel free to, you know, to contact the, you know, the club's fan engagement team, you know, and all their details are on the main website. But, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to improve, Ryan, the, the way in which we're sort of, you know, reaching out, as well as the survey, which obviously just gives us a bit of evidence and a bit of data. Yeah. You know, both myself and Joe have been sort of building relationships with the clubs and, and other Evertonians. So, you know, we've, you know, made ourselves available for Zoom meetings and other things to, you know, just get a bit of insight. You know, we've been connecting with some of the leads of the, you know, the supporters groups to get, you know, to get their ideas and what have you. So there's plenty of ways and it doesn't matter how big or small the issue is for, you know, for, for a blue anywhere or whether you're part of a club or not, you know, please feel free to, you know, to, to get hold of us via, you know, our email or the website or social media. Our ears are open. Outstanding. And, and knowing you, Tony, for, let's see, it's been what, five, five or six months now. I can definitely corroborate that you are. It? Yeah, it, it feels like it years at this point, <laughs> but can confirm that you are very receptive and open to listening to anyone that has anything, any input or, or you know, you're, you're very committed to giving a voice to people who, you know, part of the, the a section of the fan base that maybe has felt like outsiders for a long period of time. And it's really encouraging to see the efforts made at club level. And then at the fans forum level to really kind of bring these people into the fold and engage them in a way that maybe hasn't been a core part of the club strategy previously. Yeah. Well, you know, look, this is, this is sort of the start, as I say, you know, Joe and I have only been sort of around for, you know, a few months now, but as I say, I think this gives us, uh, you know, this gives, gives us a good platform. You know, I mean, what I'd love to see is the blues in the U S getting together every year, uh, you know, for some form of event, well, you know, whether that's linked to a pre-season tour or not, that came through, by the way, very loudly in the, uh, yes, the feedback. Sure. But, over, you know, yeah. I'd love us to, you know, for us all to get together for, you know, a Toffee Fest or... Toffee Fest, you know, some, yes, please. Love some it. other celebration where, you know, we can, <laughs> you know, we can come together. Um, obviously, we, maybe we could start in Chicago. Um, just to keep can, building that because... Go on. Yeah, no, I, that was something that came up on Twitter the idea, I think Chicago is a great central location. I have a family that lives out there, so I'd love to go out to Chicago and meet up with all the blues. And like you said, the, the overseas tour is long overdue, I think for the club. Um, and would you do a, do a go a long way to helping them build their presence in the U S and engage the fans that are here? 
I feel like there's a blues yeah, exactly. theme related to Chicago. You know what I mean? Kind of old blues style right. thing. Please come <laughs> to Chicago. Good. I'm I'm just suggesting. <laughs> very good. Uh, look, see, look, it doesn't matter. Every time I speak to you, you give me different ideas. Very, very novel that one. Blues <laughs> in Chicago. I like it. Yeah. I like it. But yeah, look, they're they're the types of things I think that are gonna are gonna keep building. So you know, that's 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 what I'd like to see is you know as well as addressing the retailing and as well as addressing the, the the tickets and building the engagement throughout. Um, you know, throughout the different networks is, you know, sort of bringing people together. And, you know, if we could do that on a basis, that'd be brilliant. You know, a network of 50 odd supporters groups across together to, to celebrate Everton would be brilliant. It's a lofty goal, but if anyone can do it, I think it's the people's club. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate all the insight, all the feedback and all the work that you're doing to engage blues all over the world. No, I appreciate it. And, it, and it's an absolute honor to share to share a podcast segment with the, with the legendary Ryan Williams. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'm not that argumentative in real life. You know, it's <laughs> the man. The you know myth. what? You surprised me. You're very pleasant. Oh, well, thank you. You know, it's it's believe it or not, my persona, like I, I do like chatting and stuff. But um, when you meet me in real life, I'm exactly the same, the same way. But I'm actually very diplomatic. So it's very nice to meet you. Well, too. Tactful. Tactful, some might we say. Can, Tactful. There we go. We can, uh, we can, we can aim to meet in person. At yes. The Coffee Fest next year. How about that, right? I would love that. Beers on me. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Fan- nice to talk to you again. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be with you, I guess, following the Wolves match. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.